Faith. 2023, the Lord has put in our heart as 3W Church, it is the year of faith. We're going to be talking about faith over and over and over, and we're going to dig in to the root of it and what it is and what it means, and we're going to rock you throughout this year as we are rocked, knowing some of these things that are simple truths, but that we have forgotten or have ignored. And one of the things that we talked about last week is the fact that in order for you to have faith, you've got to believe. And believe is knowing that it is true, right? Faith, the definition of the word, is putting complete trust in someone or something. But in order for you to have trust in someone, you have to believe in them. You have to believe that what they say is true. And one of the things about our God is that he has never broken his promises to us. Now, sometimes we don't meet the criteria to walk into a blessing that he may have for us, but that's different than breaking a promise, right? Sometimes we tell our children, if X, Y, or Z, then we will reward you with this, but we do not give the reward without the fulfillment of what was agreed upon, true? See, when we give them the reward, even though they didn't meet the criteria, we create spoiled brats. Come on, somebody. Entitled, I deserve this. Or you don't deserve squat. We do it and we get there. Just keeping it real for a moment, all right? And then we have our heavenly father who has given us not a set of rules, but a pattern for us to live by which bring forth blessings to us. And when we walk in that pattern, we release or unlock certain blessings that we do not qualify for otherwise. And one of these things is walking in faith. And today I want to talk a little bit about corresponding action of our faith. And I want to talk about this specifically, faith in words and actions. Faith in words and actions. I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence for me, or this statement for me. If you're online, I want you to put it in the comment box, right? Because we've all heard this or said this. Actions speak louder than words. How many of you have been told that before? How many of you have said that to somebody before? Right? We say you may say it, but can you do it? Because the actions speak louder than the words. And so I want to talk a little bit about our words, but also about our actions, because they're both important. The first thing I want us to remember this morning is this. What we speak has power. What we speak has power. Proverbs chapter 18 actually says this. The power of life and death are in your tongue. The Bible says that. The power of life and death are in your tongue. James chapter 3 devotes almost an entire chapter to the tongue. And it gives these two examples. It says a horse, this mighty animal, right, that you ride upon, it is directed to the left or to the right with a bit that is put in its mouth. And a ship is directed left or right by a small rudder that it has in the back. Now, back then, they didn't have cruise ships, but if you see a cruise ship today on a dry dock, you will notice that no matter how ginormous, four football fields long of a ship it might be, 
the rudder is a small thing in the back. And it will make it go left or it will make it go right. And your tongue, my tongue, is this rudder, is this bit that will make us move towards faith or away from faith. And we will, going back to Proverbs 18, because sometimes we quote that verse, the power of life and death are in our tongue. But if you read the rest of it, it says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And many of us believers are eating contaminated fruit that has come from what we have spoken. We say we're believing, but we speak the opposite of what we're believing, and we are destroying our own belief and our own faith based on what we say. Flippant speech, meaning something that you just say without thinking, just letting it blurt out. Sometimes we inadvertently, inadvertently, thank you for correcting myself there. We speak a curse or death upon ourselves or someone around us because of just letting it come out. As a matter of fact, if you are doing along with the church, the one year Bible reading plan, and you've already done today's this morning. You read the story of Jacob leaving Laban's house. And the Bible says that he gets his whole family because God tells him, get your family and go back to your father's house. And when they begin to go, they left in the secret of the night. Laban was offended by it. He was bitter. He was cried. He felt betrayed. He, and, and he comes up to Jacob and he says, why have you done this? And what we know or what Laban doesn't know is who did it. And Jacob doesn't know this had happened. But someone had stolen Laban's idols, his gods. And he comes and says to Jacob, fine, you left, you took my family, you took this, but why did you take my gods? And Jacob's initial words come right out of his mouth are this, whoever has them, let them die. Laban searches every single tent and doesn't find them because Jacob's wife, Rachel, Laban's daughter, lied to her father, said she had her menstrual cycle, and was sitting on top of the idols, hiding them. So she didn't get discovered at the moment, so she didn't die at the moment, but a year later when she was in the birth of giving birth to Benjamin, she died in labor over a curse that Jacob spoke over her life. Some of us need to research our words and what we have spoken over our spouse over our children, over our health, over our finances, over our circumstances. And we got to go get a shovel, spiritual shovel, and start digging out what we have spoken and begin to speak the right things over it. I remember a young man years ago that I had been developing and working with. And one day he came to me almost crying upon graduation from college, saying it took me forever to finish because every time I would go, I'd only hear my father's words. I would always say, you'll never amount to anything. And those words echoed in him for decades until he started receiving affirmation through a spiritual fathering to take out what had been spoken and receive what was newly being spoken. 
And some of us, as we are in an authority in our marriage, with our children, in our workplace, especially if you're a boss, if you have anybody that you are over, and we're speaking things sometimes as an educator, speaking things over students, all of these things, not realizing that there is power in what we say. The enemy, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, and all of his liturgy of names has no creative power. So what does that mean? When you hear it, you know, Tony Robbins and all these self-help people say you need to speak it into existence. You need to speak it to manifest it. They're taking biblical truths and applying them over your life without using God. And that's demonic. It's why we hear things sometimes and it's like, oh, that sounded so good. And we take part of it and we start saying it and all these different things. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm not partnering with something that excluded God from it. I'm all in on God. And some people like, well, why do these self things work? Well, because it is scriptural that there's power in what you speak over yourself. Because it is scriptural that when you speak something, you are putting it there. The question is, who's helping grant it to keep you bound or free? Because if you're speaking it and it's through the enemy that you are granting it, you are bound. But if it's through God, it's in freedom. What are we speaking? What are we saying? Because in what we speak, we can either breathe life on our faith or we can quench our faith. If you're taking notes, I want to jot this down. Our words must correspond with our faith. Our words must correspond with our faith. I'm going to be very, very practical right now. If what you feel like saying doesn't correspond with your faith, Keep your mouth shut. I've got to tell. When my mind wants to say something, but God is reminding me I shouldn't say it, I bite my lip. And I'm like. Have you ever seen me doing that? I wanted to say something. But I checked it. <laughs> and I decided it wasn't what God wanted me to say. So I stayed shut. Didn't blurt it out. Self-control. Sometimes I slip with it. And then I repent and dig it out. Because I'm not perfect. But I'm trying every day to get a little closer to him. So I want you to go back to Matthew, where we were last week. We read Matthew 8 and 9, talking about how Jesus met people at their belief, right? According, as you believe, you will receive, right? We, we, we saw the way that he did that. As he believed, people, as people believed, they received. But I want us to read some of these same exact passages in this light of what is being spoken. In Matthew chapter 8, verse number 2, it says, Behold, a leper came to him, knelt down, saying, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. His speech, his declaration was what he believed. You can do this should you be willing to. 
He knew Jesus could. He wasn't sure if he was willing. It's why Jesus responds saying, I will be clean. You go to the centurion. The centurion comes to him saying, my servant is lying paralyzed. Verse number six, suffering terribly. And Jesus says, I will come. And the response in verse number eight from the centurion is, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. He declared it. You don't even have to come physically. I believe and declare you just need to say it. He goes on. I'm not going to read it right there now, but he goes on to say, I'm a man under authority and I recognize your authority. Do you understand that authority recognizes authority? If you're in any type of position of authority in whatever thing you may be, that authority gets recognized by other people even that don't know you. It's why people who walk in authority can be at the supermarket or at Costco or wherever they may be, and people come up to you to ask you, where is this? It doesn't happen to the person that has no authority in their life who are walking around like, nah, I don't know what's going on. People who walk in authority, that authority, like, it's, it, it, it's recognizable. Because people recognize it. So the centurion, who was a man under authority, actually looks at Jesus and says, I'm a man under authority like you are. And when I tell a soldier, come, he comes. And I say, go, he goes. And a servant, do this, they do it. Therefore, this is why... I believe and I can state my belief that you just need to say it and it will happen. Do you know what that declaration did? Jesus says in all of Israel, I haven't seen faith like yours. Do you know why that statement is so profound and so important? A centurion, a Roman soldier is the one who had that faith, not a Jew. Not a person descendant of Abraham. A Roman soldier recognized the authority in Jesus and submitted to that authority. And in that faith, received the miracle for his servant. We continue. We're still there in Matthew. And we go over to chapter number 9. And it says in verse number 18... That there's a ruler, we know his name is Jairus, comes to Jesus in verse 18 and says this. My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. He declared what he believed. Jesus went and the girl was raised. Then we see in verse 14. I'm sorry, my page, my verse page just shifted. Verse 27, it says, he passes from there. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Jesus did not heal them until they declared in words what they believed in. Yes, Lord. And Jesus then says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Our speech, as I said a minute ago, our words of faith 
on what we believe or know to be true. What we speak has power, and it's either going to breathe life or quench your faith. Now, not only do our words need to correspond with our faith, but our actions need to correspond with our faith. James, I just talked to you about James chapter 3. In the beginning of James, it talks about the fact that faith without works or action is a dead faith. And so I ask you and I ask myself, when I am believing in faith for something, am I putting action to what I am believing for? Or am I just saying I'm believing for it? But I, I, I want to show you. Go back. Chapter 8. What did the leper do? He didn't just come and say it. He knelt down before him. Verse number two. He came and did an act of surrender to Jesus saying, I know you could do this. We see here continued action, corresponding action. What did the centurion do? The centurion came, not only said it, but then even went on to express continually why he believed what he believed. In chapter number nine, it says that there was a paralytic, verse number two of chapter nine, who was lying on a bed and some people brought him. That was an action to what they believed that Jesus could raise up and heal this paralytic. They put him on a thing and carried him to Jesus. And it says that when he saw their faith, he saw the action. He declared forgiveness. And when everybody was like, who do you think you are? In their heads, they're thinking this. Who do you think you are to say you're forgiven? Jesus, knowing their mind, says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the right to forgive sins. Dude, get up off the mat and go home. And the guy gets up and walks back to his house. What moved Jesus? Action. Then we get to the story of Jairus, right? And in there is an... There's an interruption, which was an act of faith, right? We're in chapter number 9, verse 18. While he's saying these things, a ruler comes in, kneels before him, saying, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her. She will live. And Jesus rose and followed him, right? Immediately, at the word and the action of Jarius, Jesus gets up to follow him. And as they're going, verse 20, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Look at her. She has believed it. She has said it. She's telling herself, I just need to touch him. I just need to touch him. And if I just touch him, I'm going to be made well. And what does she then do? She shifts from saying it to acting it out. She goes there to touch Jesus, and she receives her healing. In verse 22, it says, Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Now, I want you to go to the book of Mark. Because in Mark, we recount this story, and Mark gives more detail to it. So in Mark chapter number 5, it says, verse 21, we'll start there. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name. This is why we know that who we're talking about in Matthew was Jarius, because here it says the story with a little more detail. And he says 
to him, seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her, and she will be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, I want you to get a visual picture of what the crowd thronging about Jesus is. Okay? How many of you have ever been to Magic Kingdom? How many have ever been there when you watch the fireworks at the end of the night? How many of you have tried to get on the monorail after the fireworks? That is a crowd thronging around you. Okay? It ends and everybody goes to the exit and you're like trying to navigate a double stroller. Like I'm trying to move it around. You need Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and everybody. That is the crowd. That is what is throng. Everybody's around Jesus. So with that picture, look at the description. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Let's break this down with what we know. Number one, she was suffering and had been in isolation for 12 years. Why do I say she had been in isolation? Well, according to the Levitical law, which they lived under, a woman with menstrual cycle or with a discharge of blood was considered unclean and had to stay away from people. Couldn't even be in the same bed with her husband. Not only that, she had some type of financial backing where she had been able to spend everything on doctors and she didn't get any better but it says it only grew worse right they tried everything and nothing was helping again that is why we call it the practice of medicine they try things but we don't know and it's why we can't put our trust in the medicine or the doctor even though we're doing what maybe they said, our trust hills have to be in God. That he's going to do it, even if it's through the doctor. But it's God. Okay? So here's this woman suffering. She's probably weak. After days of a menstrual cycle, ladies, you feel weak when you have a discharge of blood for several days. She feels weak, probably. And she's getting there... She's lost everything. She has nothing left. And then the Bible tells us in verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, again, her speech on her faith, if I touch even his garment... I will be made well. So here we are. Let's get again. We're the picture. Trying to get on the monorail after the fireworks at Magic Kingdom. It is packed. It is being thronged around you. So she's probably weak. She's lost everything. She's not supposed to be out of the house, but she's got faith that if she touches Jesus and she gets there and there's a crowd. 
She could have said, this is too hard. And backed out. She could have said, I'll never qualify and not put in the offer. She could have said, I can't get the job, so I won't apply, right? She could have said, I can't. Everything's stacked against me. I know if I touch them, I'll be healed, but there's a crowd. But she didn't stop at belief and declaration. It says that she pressed through the crowd and reached out and touched him. And look what it says immediately verse 29 the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease verse 30 and jesus perceiving in his heart perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples, verse 31 says, you see, right? Verse 31, look what it says there. You see the crowd pressing against you. They're all trying to get on the monorail, Jesus. And you say, who touched me? This is what Jesus says. I felt power leave. Action on faith activated power out of me. I felt it. Look what it says there in verse number 32. It says, he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Why was she afraid? Probably because of the fact that she was breaking the law by leaving her house with a discharge of blood and going through a crowd. Anybody she touched was considered unclean before the Lord. So she's probably afraid. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? But she says, you touched me. Then power healed me. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What do we see in this woman? By the way, we don't know her name. And that's okay. Because it's not in who it was, but in what took her to the place of her healing. And so she had suffered. She had spent it all, but she hears about this savior. She hears about this healer, and she believes that he can heal her. And he, she believes he doesn't even need to talk to her. She believes that she just needs to touch him. And she doesn't stop at thinking about it and believing it and saying it to herself. She presses through the crowd and touches. She put action to her faith. It wasn't easy to act on what she believed, but she did. Action activates your faith. 
You're taking notes. Write that down. Our action activates our faith. Our action activates our faith. You go to a credit card company, Citibank, Chase, American Express, you name it. You put in your information, your name, your date of birth, your social security number, your address, all these different things. They run your credit and they authorize a spending limit and send you a credit card. You get the credit card in the mail. You open the envelope. You take out the little card and you stick it in your wallet. You go to the store. You swipe it, insert it, or tap it, and it doesn't work. Until you call and activate the card. The little white sticker that comes on the top of the card. You've got to call. You have to put the last four digits of your card. You have to put the last four digits of your social. You have to put your date of birth or your zip code. You have to put information that qualifies you as the right recipient so that then you can tap it, insert it, or swipe it and grab a hold of what is yours already. Faith, you can have it. But if your speech doesn't apply to it, and if your actions do not apply to it, it's like swiping an unactivated credit card. You have the limit, you have the funds, you have the access, but you can't use it for lack of activation. And there's a lot of believers who are walking around with an inactive faith credit card. And we wonder why we tap it and it doesn't work. We insert it and it doesn't work. We swipe it and it doesn't work. And we're like, but, but I believe the promise. But are my actions supporting the promise? When it's difficult, am I pressing through the crowd? Or am I saying, I'll come back another day? I am okay to admit this, all right? I'm secure enough in myself. I'm nuts. Okay, I believe for crazy stuff and I'm bold and I say it like doctors told us we couldn't have kids. We started believing in faith, praying about it, believing about it, but no action for about six months. I said it with no action, no action. And I'll never forget it. December 2009, at a baby shower, Patty thinks she just might be pregnant because she's late, and she gets her menstrual cycle in the bathroom, Rusty Pelican, my cousin's baby shower. And she comes, and she tells me, we got to go. She's just disheartened. And in the car, I had a come to Jesus moment. And I looked at her, and I said, we're believing, but we've put no action We've put no acción correspondiente. We haven't put action to it. And that's where we drove and went to Babies R Us and started buying, buying all kind of baby stuff for a baby we were told by doctors we couldn't have. And she never saw another menstrual cycle until she had weaned Abigail from nursing. As soon as action came, the miracle came. But that's not the only time we've seen it. I, I, again, I'm, I'm crazy, I, and I'll say it. I remember being at my cousin's wedding, 
Key West. My cousin wanted to marry in Key West. We drove all the way down Key West. We're at her wedding. The party's going on. A lot of my family's unsaved. I'm praying for their salvation. Pray with me. And we're there. It's going crazy. It's all different stuff. And Abigail is moving around. She's probably about a year and a half, two years old. She's doing all these different things or whatever. And because and, there's music, right? And kids love music. Have you ever seen a baby move around, right? There's music and the baby's like, ah, da, 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 ha, you know? And this guy comes up to me who doesn't know me. And he comes up to me and he says, oh, when she's older enough, you're never going to get her out of the clubs. And I said, I cancel the curse that you just spoke over my daughter. I don't know who the guy is. But I just looked at him straight in his face. And I said, I cancel the curse that you spoke over my daughter. She will never step foot in that because she will belong to Jesus. Didn't speak to me the rest of the night. Whatever. I I don't care. (laughs) Abigail's born October of 2010. Funny story. She's born on October 9, 10, 9, 10. Patty's about an hour into labor. And the nurse comes in and says, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Perez... We can give her a medicine to like, you know, to like slow it down a little bit so that, you know, she can be born on 10, 10, 10. <laughs> there was no prayer. There was no, was like, nope, it's time. <laughs> we are not delaying the process. All right, anyway. Abigail's born. We're in an apartment. That's where we lived. We, we, we own an apartment. We're, we're there in this apartment. And. It's apartment living with, with, with children is a little more difficult than apartment living on your own or just two, right? So we're praying for our house, and we're believing, and we're going to be able to buy a house, and we're going to think. And, 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 and Patty would be on Zillow and looking for all these different things, and she finds this house. And we look at it, and, and, and I call my realtor, and we're like, hey, make an appointment so we can see this house. And the realtor calls me right back and says, hey, the house was taken off the market. I'm like, oh, man, you know. We, we drove by the house. We saw the house had this big, giant blue tarp on it. It's the same house we live in today. So we're there. And we're like, we see them take the blue tarp off. We see the permit come on the garage. We see the roof being fixed and changed. And a few weeks later, it comes back on the market for less money than it was on the market before the roof being fixed. Makes no sense. And we call our realtor. Her name's Teresa at that time. That was Ruth Teresa. And I called her and I said, Teresa, call this thing. We want to go look at this house. And she was like, all right, well, I'll meet you there at this time. And so Patty and I, we get in the car. We drive over there. And we get there, and there's a car, two cars in front of the house, and, and the door's open. So there's another realtor showing the house. And again, I, I, I just, because I'm David, I, I, I opened the door, and I looked, and I was like, I was like excuse me. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to show you. I was like, yeah, yeah, my realtor's on the way. Do you mind if I start walking around? She's like, all right, sure, you know. So we start walking around. By the way, the house was a foreclosure. It was owned by the bank. There's holes in the ceiling. There's mold. I mean, it was a disaster. And we walk around this house, and we look at each other, and we said, this is our house. So we walk back out, and I get the phone. As I'm walking out, I'm pulling out my phone, right? At that time, I probably had my BlackBerry because I worked in Mifflin. That's what it was. I pull out my BlackBerry, and I'm, I'm not calling. I'm like, I call Teresa. She's like, I'm on my way, David. I'm almost there. I was like, no, 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 no. Turn around. Go to your office and write up an offer for this amount. She's like, but you haven't seen it? I was like, I saw it. There was somebody there. Don't worry about it. Just, just go. 
we get in the car, we turn on the car, and instead of driving home, we said, if we believe this is our house, we drove to Lowe's. And we got a shopping cart and started walking around Lowe's, and we started buying light fixtures and outlets and all kinds of different stuff for this house that the offer hadn't even been put in on yet. In faith. They accepted our offer. And multiple times they tried to kill it because somebody in the bank realized we had the house on the market for this much. We invested 20 grand on a roof and we're selling it for less. But they couldn't kill the deal. And part of our prayer is we bought this house in the beginning of 2011. Part of our prayer, I'm going to be very honest. I, I, I have no other way to know but being honest. Part of our prayer was we knew we were in the process of launching 3W Church. And part of my daily prayer was, God, we need our forever home before we launch our church. And you know why I was praying that boldly? Because I've been a Christian a very long time. Nobody here. But Christians can be mean. And Christians can be judgmental. And I've met a lot of Christians who accused pastors wrongly of mishandling and misappropriating funds for personal gain. And I've also met some that actually did. But part of my prayer was, God, we know we're called to this city, and we know we're called to plant a church. And so that there is never a hint of impropriety, we want to buy our house before we launch the church. So no one will ever be able to say he launched a church and then bought a house. He probably uses the church money for his own. That was part of my prayer. I'm just being honest. But I had to put action to my faith. And we do that all the time. We're believing in something. What action can we put behind it? Where can we put action to what I say that I'm believing and I am confessing as belief? Where am I putting action? How am I activating my faith? And how does it look like for you? Ask God. You're believing God for that corner office? Go buy a new suit. You're believing God for, for, for that new thing? Go get ready for it. Start doing it. You're believing God for your husband? Go get the gym membership. Whatever you need to do, but activate it. I'm believing God for my wife, but you haven't asked somebody on a date in 12 years. I'm believing God for my house, but you spend $4,000 a year on Starbucks. And you only make 12, I'm just saying, right? Like, you get the point. What am I doing? I'm going to put action to my faith. I'm going to start aligning my finances because I'm believing for this. I'm going to put action to my faith. I'm believing for God to heal me, but I'm going to start changing my eating habits. Or I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to put action because without action, you have an inactive credit card. The money's yours. It's tied to your account. But it's inactive without action. Huh. Dolphins are starting a third string quarterback. <laughs> They're projected to lose by 13 and a half points. 
But as an act of faith, I'm preaching in a dolphin sweater. Because I'm rooting for them. Right? I was tempted to take it off earlier because it's hot. I'm sweating. But no, my declaration and my action is Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. They take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We didn't even score a touchdown against the Jets last week, but I'm in faith it's going to change. Just needed a minute. I, I had to get it out there, all right? Action. 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 You're believing for your healing. What action are you doing? You're believing for your miracle. What action are you doing? Everything of faith required action. Right? First week of the year, we talked about Peter. Peter had fished all night long and caught nothing. But Jesus said, go and cast it on the other side. He had to push the boat into the deep and at the word of Jesus, cast the net. Sometimes we do not receive it because we don't believe it or because our actions don't match up. You know, Abraham, who we know as the father of faith, Abraham was told by God, we're going to talk about this throughout this year at one point, Leave your father's house to a place I'm going to show you. And Abraham obeys and leaves. And then God tells him, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you like more descendants than stand on the seashore and, and, and the desert and stars in the sky. And guess what? His wife doesn't get pregnant for over a decade. He finally has Ishmael after Sarah thinks, let me help God. And gives her her servant, the slave woman, the Egyptian woman. There's so much profoundness there. But anyways, gives her this Egyptian. And he sleeps with her and she has the baby. But it wasn't the son of promise. And another 10 years go by. And God shows up to Abraham and tells him, I'm going to bless you and give you all these descendants. And you know what the Bible says that Abraham did? He threw himself on the floor and laughed and said, am I in old age and my wife in old age going to have this joy? And you know what his declaration was? Oh, that Ishmael might be this son of promise. And God kindly rebukes him and says, nope, Sarah is going to have your son and I'm going to make you a great nation and because you've asked for it I will bless Ishmael but the promise is through him and this is what you need to do here's your action of our covenant is go get circumcised and circumcise all your men every male and from now on as the sign of the covenant at eight days old every male will be circumcised and you know what the bible says after Abraham had laughed, that was his action. He had said, oh, let it be through someone else. Let it be through Ishmael. And God corrected him. He received the correction, changed his declaration and his action. The Bible says immediately he arose, got Ishmael and every man of his troop, and had them circumcised. Put action. And after that came the release of Isaac. Action will always Proceed the miracle.
if we believe it, we've got to match our speech. Worship team, come to the altar. But not only match our speech, we have to have corresponding action to what we believe is going to happen. Let's stand to our feet. I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. Actually, open your eyes for a minute. Because I forgot two things that I got to say. The first one is this. After you see it happen, you got to testify it. You have to tell somebody. Sit back down. Turn the lights back on. Sorry. Stay there. But don't, just, just stay there. Keep playing. Sorry. Because if, if you don't get this part, it's the missing catalyst. Catalyst. Once you receive your miracle, you have to testify. The woman with the issue of blood, why did she have faith? Because she heard what Jesus had done. But look at what happens after she receives her miracle. The next chapter, we were in Mark 5, the next chapter, Mark chapter 6. Verse 53, it says that when they crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Why on God's good earth would multitudes of people implore of him just walk by and let us touch? If it not for the woman who we don't know her name, who had gone through years of suffering, lost it all, but pressed through the crowd, touched the garment, received her healing, and then told the world. When you receive your miracle, you have to testify. It's why I'm always saying of testimonies we've received. Because if I don't testify, your faith is not encouraged. But when I testify, faith is encouraged. Like We have a men's chat, by the way. If you're not in our men's chat and you want to be a part of it, talk to me after service. We'll add you to it. But we had been praying for Javi's cousin. Like two or three months ago, he put it on there. Pray for my cousin. She's got this tumor. The doctors say it's not, it's inoperable. They have no other treatment. They can't do anything. We don't know what they're going to do. Pray for my cousin. They were going to start on an experimental drug. They've never tested all these different things. You pray for my cousin. And three days ago, he puts on the chat, everybody's been praying for my cousin. I need you to know the tumor's gone. Okay, what happens there? Whoever else is on the chat reads it and is believing for their miracle. Believing for the miracle in their son, their daughter, their wife. Believing for something and they hear, wait, God healed this one? That God took care of that? I'm next. It's coming. 
So we can't just receive it. We have to then testify. And the last thing is this. Four things. It's the last, the next to last slide. Believe it. Speak it. Act on it. Testify. Believe it. Say it. Act on it. Testify that. I've read so many stories throughout the years of people. I read one specific lady. Her son was in jail and was supposed to be there for a very, very long time. But she was believing he would be changed and he would be able to come out. And every single morning when she made breakfast, she would put a plate at the table next to her for her son. And every single day she would go to the sink and wash the plate. And as she's doing this act of faith, her son gets saved in the prison. Gets early release. And before she knew it, she was actually having breakfast at home with her son and actually washing the plate. Something simple. What are you believing for? From belief, start to say it. Act on it. And when you receive it, tell the world. Stand to your feet. Believe it. Say it. Act on it. Testify. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes now. Yes, officially. And I want you to talk to the Lord. Because every single one of us is believing for something here. And this is what I want you to ask God. God, show me if there's something I have been speaking that is opposite of what I'm believing for. God, tell me what I should be speaking in faith. I want us to ask God, what act, what can I do prophetically bringing into the realm of existence what I have not seen yet? What is the act that I need to do? When we were believing for Abigail, we went and bought stuff. When we were believing we were going to get pregnant again, I didn't go buy stuff. I, I, actually, I, I did. I went and bought a pregnancy test not all the other things we did before because God already had healed us I was just like all right let's check what is the act of faith that you need to do for that which you are believing for and so as we worship for the next minute and you're talking to the Lord if you need to repent for speaking things opposite of the faith repent begin to declare that which you are believing for between you and God decide what act you need to do when you leave this place in faith for that which you are believing for.